We've been saying this throughout, but man, just be you. And I, <laughs> I have a little amen choir over here. I just, I, I, and I just need to say this on behalf of CC. I, listen, I've been pastoring this for 12 years. And I know that we have a church that, um, and again, I want to say this up clear. It's not about expressive, how expressive being sure. It's about being authentic and being true to who you are. And there's some of you for whom being true to who you are, man, it's just, that's you. And I love it. I love that. You're like that. Game seven of the Bulls game. You are like that at a U2 concert or Jay-Z. You are. It's you. And I love that. It's you. Be you. Be you. And then there are others of us, though, for whom For some reason, it's like we could be full-on responsive everywhere else except when we walk into church. It's like, dude, something happens to us, you know? And and all we're saying in our church is be you. You are out there. Be you in here. Does that make sense? Yeah, so be you. And like I said, sometimes you get inhibited by who's around. And some, I know for some of us, we're told, we're told this, this is God's house. Don't run around. Shh, this is God's house. I don't know where we got that from. Not that it's not God's house. I don't know where we got the whole, when we come in here, somehow, I don't know where we got that from. I don't see that in scripture. Because the sanctuary of all sanctuaries, the heavenlies, you got the angels going, holy, 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 shouting back and forth. And it's, yeah, so shh. I don't, where do we get that from? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying this partly because my kids, they run in the sanctuary. And so this is my theological response to why that's okay. <laughs> in case y'all want to go, whose kids are those? That'd be my kids. I want to show you a couple of scripture passages as we launch. This is part two of our sermon series on worship. I can't. I can't get more weighty in terms of scripture than these two. Exodus 9.1. Check this out. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, let my people go. Read the next part with me. Ready? So that they may worship me. The reason God gives to why he's delivering and freeing his people is so that they might worship God. Um, if you go, well, that's an Old Testament thing. That's an Israel thing. First Peter 2 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. The reason why you have been saved, redeemed, And I need to be clear about this. It's not so you can do and volunteer and all of that. That's important, and we get to that. But the reason is that through your lips and through your lives, you and I might declare the praises of him. You asking me, why are you doing a sermon series on worship? From beginning to end, God says, the reason why I have done this is so that you may declare the praises that you may worship. Is this important? 
I think so. Now, two misconceptions right away. Somewhere, somehow, some of us who grew up in church, we have been taught or we believe that worship equals songs. So singing songs is worship, and worship is singing songs. And that's a part of it. We'll get to that. But man, if that's all you think, worship is singing songs. So I don't need to go to worship. I just kind of show up at 1020. Kinda, that's not important. Singing songs is not worship. And worship is not in us of singing songs. And then for some of us, and I love it that you're here, some of us think worship and we go, that's a Christian thing. That's a religious thing. That's people who go to church thing. We said this last two weeks ago. You, my friend, are a worshiper. I am a worshiper. Every single one of us, deep within our DNA, is a desire to worship. The word worship is literally worth shape. It's an old English word or phrase that combines worth shape. Literally, to worship something is to be shaped by the worth of something. It's to be shaped by the worth of something where with our lives and our words we say, I value that. And all of a sudden the playing field gets even because every single one of us is every day, all day walking out with the billboard saying, I value that. I worth that. I worship that. Some of us, it's our career. Some of us, it's our marriage. Some of us, it's a dream. Some of us, it's success. Some of us, it's an addiction. Some of us, it's all of us. Uh, I use this analogy. All of us have an altar and at the end of the altar is a throne. Every single one of us. Every single one of us in our lives has an altar and a throne. And by the way, the way you get to the altar and the throne is you follow the trails. The trails never lie. Follow the trail of your money. It leads to an altar and a throne. Follow the trail of your time. Follow the trail of your energy, of your allegiance, of your loyalties, of your affections. Every single one of us has a trail, and you follow the breadcrumbs, and at the end of that is an altar, and someone or something is sitting on the throne of that altar. Who is it? What is it? Because that is what you really worship. Playing field gets even. Whatever is at the end of that throne. And some of us, it's us on the throne, altar of our lives. The actions of our lives speaks volumes about what's on that throne. Worship is an all-day thing. It's an everyday thing. Worship. That's why the series isn't, you guys, about, hey, I'm going to teach you how to worship and do it better. I'm not really a Christian. I'm not, a, not about being a Christian. I don't like music. <laughs> I don't like singing. It's not about music and singing. Worship is about value. It's about worth. It's about throne. It's about altar. The start series, series starts with you and I recognizing, and we need to get this, you guys, is that you and I are really, 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 really good at worship. Really good at worship. Worship is not... It's not something that you need improvement in. The issue, please listen, is not the quality of worship. The issue is the object of our worship. The issue is not that the quality of our worship improve. It's that the object of our worship improve. The world isn't divided into people who worship, people don't. The world is divided into people who worship something that will distort your life. Or you worship something 
the thing that you were created for. There are only two prospects. And should you for some reason not to choose to worship God, the only object worthy of our worship, as we'll talk about, you'll find something, someone. This space cannot go unoccupied. You're going to want something here. The compelling question is why? Why? You ever ask why? Why is there this thing in us that that needs something to champion, that needs something to exalt, that needs something to find out. Is this true of you? Yes? What is it in us that needs something in our lives to value, to champion, to worth, to value, to worth? What is that? It's innate. You can't help it. None of us is walking around during the week going, I value nothing. I worth nothing. Nothing means... All of us has this, what is that? What is that? Now for the next three, four, maybe five minutes, (laughs) what I'm about to share, and I don't even pretend to do a good job at this, because it's a truth that's so big, so compelling, and yet so amazing, that should we come around our lives and get it, it will change us. It will transform us. What is this thing that in us that wants to value, worth, why is that? What is that? What is that? Well, here's what Paul says. It's a familiar passage that we read and we go, oh, that's nice. But should you and I, Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. By the way, are you included in that? Okay, okay, just want to make sure, since he, so you don't go, I'm not, that's not about me. Oh, you and I have been created by God. By God. Not an accident. We've been created by God. Created in His image. And if that wasn't enough, you've also been created for God. We've been created for God. There is an internal Godward magnet that's pulling you and me towards God. Two weeks ago, a dessert night at my house. A guy who's been coming to our church says, I'm a professed agnostic. He says, I've been coming to a new community on and off for three years. Three years. Because I'm searching. I'm seeking. And all of us are sitting at dessert night who are Christians who are like, whoa. And he said this. It's just, just kind of like, whoa. He said, I know that at the end of the search, one of two things will happen. Either I find what it is that I've been searching for. I realize there's nothing there. I find what it is I've been searching for. Nothing there. And I heard that, I'm like, that makes perfect sense. What, what is that thing about him? You've been created by God, and why? Oh, there is an internal homing mechanism that says, I've been created for something. I've been created for something. But here's the, here's, the, here's the mind-boggling thing for me about created by God and for God. You've been created for God, for God. You've been hardwired. I've been hardwired for nothing less. You need to get this. For God, nothing less than the greatest and most glorious being in the universe. Can I say that again? We've been created by God and for God, meaning we've been created, hardwired for nothing less than the greatest, most glorious being in the universe. If there is a God then by the virtue of the fact that he is God, he would have to be the greatest and most glorious being in the universe. Would you agree? If he isn't, 
that disqualifies him from being God. If he is God, he has to be the most glorious, greatest being in the universe. Meaning, he would have to be the ultimate expression and embodiment of everything. He would have to be ultimate beauty, ultimate wisdom, ultimate value, ultimate love, ultimate joy, ultimate delight. Yes? Now the Bible says, you've been created for God. You've been created for God. Nothing less than ultimate love, ultimate joy, ultimate delight, ultimate love, ultimate meaning. That's what you've been created for. So by the way, that's why inside of you there's this, I need love, I need value, I need delight. You go, where did that come from? You've been created for it. Now here's the mind boggling. You ready? You've been created for God means that nothing less than ultimate delight, ultimate joy, ultimate love, the most glorious and greatest thing in the world. That's what you've been created for. If you if you suddenly go, well, well, how how does what here's why it's important. You ready? When God says, then worship me. Meaning, find worth in me. Find value in me. Find delight in me. Find joy in me. Is it because he's egotistical? No, it's because he's the most loving. If you are the ultimate embodiment of truth, love, joy, value, delight, you are the ultimate and greatest expression of that. What is the most loving thing you could give to someone? Gifts? Stuff? The ultimate gift would be the gift of himself. The ultimate gift for someone who says, I'm the greatest, glorious, most ultimate of everything being in the world. The best thing he could give to you is not, oh, here's a relationship. The ultimate gift is gift of what? Say it with me. Himself. Matter of fact, for a God like that to give anything less would be unloving. This is why you cannot read the Bible without God going, worship me, worship me. And you and I go, is he egotistical? Is he kind of odd? Listen, for God to worship anything else, this I, I'm sorry if I'm getting a little too philosophical. For God to worship anything else but himself would be idolatry because he will be worshiping something that's less than him. What? The most loving thing. This is why God says, if this resonates with you, say Amen. Oh, do you see what the Psalms are filled with songs? Like, sing to the Lord, Psalm 96.1. They'll do songs. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord and praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the people. For great is the Lord. And what? 
most worthy of praise. That's literally you and I going, you are ultimate worth, your ultimate value, your ultimate love, your ultimate joy, your ultimate delight. You're all, you are awesome. Psalm 148, we let one. I will exalt you, God, my God, the King. I will proclaim your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. Do you know why? Hey, I'll get to that later, okay? (laughs) Isn't it amazing? And when you see something glorious, that you praise it? When you see something amazing, glorious, you praise it, man. Come on, you do, I do, I love you. You praise it. That was awesome. You praise it. You are amazing. You praise it. Why? Remember what C.S. Lewis said? We delight to praise what we enjoy because praise doesn't just express the enjoyment. It what? It completes the enjoyment. When you enjoy something, you don't just praise it because you've enjoyed it. You praise it in order to enjoy it more. When you see something beautiful, you experience, oh, that's beautiful, that's beautiful. But when you go, you're beautiful. Wow. Now see why God says throughout Scripture, worship me, glorify me. Make much of me and my name. Because when we do, when we say with our lips and our lives, when we say with our words as well as our actions, God, you're my ultimate worth. You're my ultimate beauty. You're my ultimate love. You're my ultimate joy. You're my ultimate desire. Worship literally saying, I worth you. I value you. I live for you. I find meaning in you. I, I, I love you. And when we do that, God is most glorified in us. And as John Piper said, at the same time, we are most satisfied in him. Two for the price of one. That's a pretty good deal. When we say, I will, CC. By the way, if you want me to say something, just say, say it again. When we say, I'm worth you, I value you, you are worthy of glory. What happens in that moment is God is glorified. God is made big and the world takes notice. But it's not just that. With the same time, our hearts go, yes. Because that's what you're created for. You and I have been created for our souls to find ultimate delight and joy and satisfaction, fulfillment, and worship in God. So when God says, worship me, when God says, worship me, he gets the glory that is his and his alone, at the same time, we find our souls and hearts satisfied. God is most glorified. I worth you, value you. Ah. And our hearts and souls are satisfied. At the same time. At the same time. Sherry. What are you thinking? It's good stuff. Is it challenging? See, if you were honest, I was honest. 
we most, Bob is sitting here going, that's not me though. I'm not going, you're my ultimate. Some of us, it's a cause. Remember I said last week, we love the cause of Jesus more than Jesus. Listen, can I just say something to you? There's only one thing, one thing, and the only thing you can give that no one else on earth, planet earth, of seven billion people can give to God. You know what that is? It's your personal affection. You and you alone, and the way God wired you, can only give to God. God, you, you, you alone are worthy. Thousands of other people could do the work. Thousands of other people could give. Thousands of people could volunteer. The thing, the thing God is looking for you that only you can give is your worship and praise that says, you alone. Oh, if we would come around this, you guys, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. So we're going to spend the rest of our lives declaring the worth of something. Don't you want to make sure that it's something worth giving your life for? Let me say that again. We are going to spend the rest of our lives giving worth and value to something or someone. Don't you want to make sure that whatever it is that you will dedicate your entire life for is worthy of your worship? By the way, I don't have a bottle of water sitting on the throne. <laughs> You're like, we're going to give our lives for water. Bottle of water. It's more, no, it's not. What? So let's do this, you guys. Let's, let's, let's pivot. If worship is this important, and I can only spend about, a, you know, obviously one sermon and then what I did today. We need to pivot because we need to begin talking about worship then that's lasting and true. The kind of worship that we're made for. The kind of worship that honors God and satisfies us. Turn your Bibles to John 4. John 4. We'll stay on this text about 10 minutes and then we're going to go on to the text that I've been spending time on. Psalm 95. In John 4, Jesus is having a conversation with the Samaritan woman one afternoon. By a common well, out of nowhere, of course, Jesus starts dropping some powerful truth, starts talking about her private life. She says, I'm not married. And he goes, I know you're not married, but you've had five husbands, and you're living with somebody who's not your husband. And she soon realizes, okay, he's not just a regular dude. So out of all things, she decides, I'm going to ask him something. What does she ask? She asks him a question about worship, and I'm glad she did. Here's what Christian was says. She says, uh, Jesus, my people, the Samaritans, think we should worship in this mountain. And you people, Jews, think that worship is supposed to be in this mountain. So her question was, <laughs> I have one question to ask this man who has just peered into my soul. She says, which mountain is the correct one to worship in? Is it this one? Is it this one? Her question is, where? And Jesus says, wrong question. John 4. Verse 23, woman Jesus replied, believe me, underline that for now, we're going to come back to it. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus says, you have it backwards. You're concerned about where? Jesus says, I'm more concerned about what? Ooh. You will worship the Father. I'm more concerned, Jesus says, about the object of your worship. Before anything else. Because listen, if you get the object of your worship wrong, everything else follows. Let me say it again. If you get the who is on the throne wrong, you get you wrong. If you don't get the God of my throne wrong, then the rest follows. It's inevitable. 
Jesus says, uh, it's not about where. Who? Then he goes. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Now, I just got to tell you. I just got to tell you. This to me is amazing. Because of all things, creator God, of all things, he is literally saying in this idol factory called earth, God says, I'm seeking, I'm looking for true worshipers. And who are true worshipers? They are people who have taken that thing of ultimate value, which is God, and have put it in the center of their affection. He says, I am looking. I am scouring planet earth and I'm looking for men and women and children who are literally saying with their lips and their lives God you are my ultimate worth you are my ultimate value beauty joy love meaning and I'm declaring that to the rest of the world God is saying I'm looking for people anybody out there anybody out there who's declaring to the world God is my ultimate affection. He's seeking. He's looking. Whoo! He is looking. He is seeking. This week in your workplace, I don't know what your testimony is with your lips and lives, but I can tell you the thing that God goes, whoa, is by your lips and your lives, you're going, guess what? God is the greatest and most glorious being in the universe. Check it out. I'm seeking. I'm looking. Verse 24. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship the Father in spirit and in truth. <laughs> Jesus says, you're missing the point about thinking where is the most important. He says, no, what's important is the how. Say how. Say How. And what's really important is the who. Say who. True worship is about how and who. How is the spirit. Worship in spirit. What does it mean? True worship. That's lasting and true. To worship in spirit. Uh, You guys have heard sermons maybe about this. And a bunch of people have said a bunch of things. To me, the key verse that unlocks what he was saying is John 3, 5. Jesus answered, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And this, you guys, is the essence of the gospel right here. You want to know what true worship is? Jesus says, true worship until God's Spirit touches our spirit with the flame of life, we are incapable to worship. Unless God's spirit touches our spirit with the flame of life, our spirit, the Bible says, is so dead that it's incapable of true worship. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but God. Where your spirit and my spirit was once dead because of sin. 
Sin didn't make us bad. Sin made our spirits dead. Where our spirit was once dead because of sin. What is the gospel? God's spirit comes and breathes life into our spirit so that our spirit that's dead because of sin comes to life, enabling us to worship God. And how does our spirit becoming alive happen? Do you work for it? Do you earn it? Do you behave your way to it? How does it happen? Jesus said it earlier. Did you catch it? Verse 23. Woman, what? Believe me. The starting point to worshiping in truth, worship that will last, worship that's true, is when God's spirit comes to our dead spirits because of sin, because of our rebellion, and makes our spirits come alive. And the way our spirits come alive is not because we're good, moral, behave. It's through faith in Christ and what he has done. Is that good news? If there's anybody here who knows what it's like for our spirits to be dead, unable to know God, love God, worship God, and we know that it was God's spirit by faith, by grace. Hey, I, this is great news. Some of y'all are goody two-shoes and you're like, yeah. Then there's the rest of us that are like, I would be still, I would be still dead in sin if not Jesus do you see? Well, I'll get to that, okay? Hebrews 13. See, our response is, is directly correlated to this. Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus. Everybody say, through Jesus. Through Jesus. Therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. True worship happens because of through Jesus. Jesus is the everlasting door by which we come to worship God. And this truth is important to grasp because how many of us fail to live as we should? I'm looking at you. How many of us fail to live as we should? And when we do, the enemy is very quick to come and go, you can't worship God. How dare you worship God? Put your hand down, you big hypocrite. You are such a ben, 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 ben. And what do we do? We go, that's true, that's true, that's true, that's true. That's what the enemy wants to do. So what does the Bible say? We say, you know what? I don't come to worship God because of me. I come through Jesus. That means regardless of where I've been, regardless of where I am, I could come anytime, anywhere through Jesus. Do you know why some of our worship is stifled? Condemnation stifles your worship. Guilt restrains your heart. Believing the lies of the enemy has you bound. You don't... The reason why, CC, our worship is now, is because there are some of us, by God, who walk in here thinking that we come to worship not through Jesus, but through my merit, my goodness. So if I had a bad week, I can't worship God. I'm not going to go to worship God. And the Bible says, you do not come through you. You come through Jesus. 
And in Jesus, we are free. And in Jesus, we are forgiven. And in Jesus, we are made new. And in Jesus, we are made clean. And in Jesus, there is no condemnation. If you do not understand this, you will never be free. You're going to listen to the enemy going, put your hand down, you big hypocrite. How dare you say that word? Look what you did last night. And Satan's up there going, ha, 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 ha. And God's people walk in. I'm like, man, shoot, I had a really bad mind. If you only knew what I'm doing with my girlfriend, my fiance. Satan's lies is stifling your worship. I'm telling you. It's, it's choking the life out of your worship. How many of you all know what I'm talking about? So when you come, some of you need to memorize this passage and go, I don't come through me. Because if I came through me, my hand's in my pocket, my head is down, and I'm not going to say a word. But you come through Jesus. He says, You come through me. <laughs> can you tell I'm passionate about this, you guys? That's why. Can I just, this is why every single Sunday I'm here. Because an awareness of the cross is always at the forefront of my mind in order for me to worship. The cross this is what gives me hope to be able to say, I love you. But it's imperfect. I don't care. I don't come through me. I come through him. <sighs> worship in spirit. Worship, and then there's worship in truth. Uh, in one sense, what does it mean to worship in truth? It's about being authentic and being real and being true to yourself. In two, three weeks, I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to talk about, <laughs> raise your hands if you're sure. I'm going to talk about what it means to worship. Because you can't read the Psalms, the worship manual, without seeing. There's body, there's movement, there's action. But worship, I'm serious, being authentic. I still remember the first time I was in worship. And somebody said, raise your hands. This was like 1983. Um, Uh, I was 30 years old, and I was, I was just, I was just, I was, <laughs> what's that Brad Pitt's character that gets, like, younger and, like, that Benjamin Button, Mutton, Button? Yeah, I know. Uh, and I still remember, you guys, I still remember this incredible, uncomfortable thing, just, uh, and I just was like, you want me to do what? Because nobody had taught me in all my life going to church. That lifting your hands is a perfectly normal way to worship God. That to <laughs> clap, to stand, to kneel, to bow, to surrender. That all, Thomas, worship man, nobody taught me. Nobody had taught me. They taught me, shh. But nobody had taught me. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about it. But we're worshiping truth. True worship is one of the being authentic. But, but there's a deeper insight, though, you guys. And that is true worship must be, listen very carefully, based on a true and accurate perception of God. 
Worship must be based on a true and accurate perception of God. Worship God as he really is, not as we imagine him to be. And I'm going to say one last time, one last time. If you want to change your life, it's not about, well, you need to learn how to. No, you take what it is that you're worshiping. True worship. You take what is you're already worshiping, what you're already giving your allegiance, loyalties, affections, your time, your energy, your passions, your love for, whatever that is. And true worship is redirecting that to God. It's not, so, you know, learn how. No, 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 you're wonderful at it. Redirect it to God and say, God, you alone are worthy of my worship. You are my worth. You are my ultimate value. You are my ultimate delight. Not him, not her, not that. You are, that's worshiping. And the Psalms is full of this truth that worship is a response to God. And the psalm that we're going to just park on for the next two, three weeks as we finish the sermon series is Psalm 95. I briefly talked about it last week. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more today, and then we're done. Psalm 95, 1. I'd like us to read this together, okay? Because I need you to to pay attention to these words of, of, of worship and truth. Here we go. Ready? Psalm 95, 1. Let's read it like we mean it. And go. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to God, rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Now, here's the definition of worship from all the Psalms. Okay? And we're just going to unpack this for the next couple, two, three Sundays. Worship is our whole life response, both personal and corporate to God, for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. And the overarching simple definition, you go, ah, oh, it's a mouthful. What is it? Just boom, just a simple thing to, to just kind of be an overarching thing. Worship simply is a response to God. That's all it is. Whatever that thing is, response. Time, energy, effort, money. Response. True, lasting worship and spirit and truth is to God. And you know what the psalmist is doing here? And I'm not the scolding type, but I need to say this. You ready? The psalmist is saying, don't come to worship indifferent. Don't come to worship going to. Don't come to worship passive. Don't come to worship just nonchalant. Why? He says, come before who? Him. And that word, panim, literally is face. Thomas is saying, come. Don't come indifferent. Don't come, don't come just nonchalant. Why? We are coming We are coming. We are coming 
into his face. The face of God in the Old Testament is the most intimate way of saying we're coming into his presence. The psalmist says, don't come nonchalantly. Why? You're coming into his presence. I could go off and use a really silly analogy like, have you ever been in the presence of a really famous, famous, important person? And you know how they change your behavior? Because all of us are like, yeah, roll our eyes. The reason why I don't want to do that analogy is I think it's too weak. You are coming into the very presence of God. And Psalmist says, that's why you have to shout. That's why you have to rouse yourself. That's why you have to kneel. That's why you have to bow. That's why you have to surrender. We're coming into his presence for crying out loud. We're coming to his presence for crying out loud. See, our, our, our culture, we, we, we scoff at the notion of objective truth. Objective truth, there's no such thing. Truth is what you make of it. So, there's no such thing as God. God is what you make of it. God is what you want him to be. God is what you paint him to be. That's who God is. That God will never change you because he's the product of you. The psalmist, (laughs) you see, how, how how does he know? How does he know that God is the great God, the great king above all gods? How does he know that in God's hands are the depths of the earth? How does he know that the sea is this? How does the psalmist know that, that, that God is our shepherd, that he is our God who has given himself to us? How does he know that we are the people of Pastor Prevalock on this care? How does he know that? Does he go, well, you know, I like to think of God as a shepherd. No, he has submitted himself to what the prophets have said about who our God is. The psalmist submitting to Scripture as the self-revelation of God. He's saying the reason why I'm exulting, the reason why I'm bowing, the reason I'm experiencing all this is because I'm not looking inside going, well, God is what I want him to be. He's looking outside at the revelation of who God is. And he's saying, this is who God is. This is who God is. This is who God is. So I'm going to kneel. I'm going to bow. The psalmist is booting off the truth of who God says he is. And that's what's causing him. Look, if, you, if you have a God, I'm, t- I'm going to say right now, because I have this conversation all the time. Peter, Bible, I'll take some, leave some, take some, leave some. If you have a God, let me just say this, give me one minute, that you've designed, because you've taken parts of the Bible that you like and don't like, okay? That's not a living God that will change you. That's a cardboard box that you control. And a God of your imagination will never transform your heart. You go, well, how do you know that? Just one example. 1 John 3. When our hearts condemn us. When our hearts condemn us. When your heart says you're nothing, you're worthless, you're stupid, you're a sinner. How dare you? When your hearts condemn you, 1 John says, God is greater than our hearts. If you're God is a God that you've made up in your heart. How in the world do you expect to overcome the voices of your own heart that tells you you're worthless? 
You need bigger. So it may be, oh, I'm comfortable with this God. That God that never challenges you, argues with you, makes you uncomfortable. Ah! That God will never transform you. You've neutered him. And he may be comfortable, but he'll never change you. Who is this God? Almost done. Verse 3 to 5 is all about God as creator. <laughs> I, I lo- you know, this is one of those psalms. Uh, psalm 92. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Not you were God. You, you are God. Infinite. Can someone, can someone define infinite for me? Infinite. Beginning, no end, having no limits, never running out, existing forever, unbound, timeless. My brain hurts. Unable to comprehend. God's never been tired. God's never slept. God doesn't age. God doesn't need an upgrade. God is self-sufficient. God's self-contained. God doesn't need anything or anyone. And I love this part. God's greatness doesn't depend on me. If not one single person on earth choose to respond to God in love, believe in him and worship God, God would still be all that he is, all that he has been, and all that he will ever be. God ain't sitting up there insecure because we don't give him worship. He is perfectly fine. Thank you very much. And I love that. And this God, verse 6 though, says he's our God. And we are the people of his pasture. The sheep under his care. As great as he is, the Bible says we are his. Which means we are, he is intimately approachable. Psalm 115.5, he who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. He's throned on high, but God has lowered himself to take notice of our lives, to become intimately acquainted with our ways. This timeless, ageless, unbound God who into creation says, Pradeep, I love what you do. And I care about the fact that you do that job with those people. This unbound, unlimited spirit of God who's never slept, who's never aged, who doesn't need an upgrade, says, I actually love the fact that you. All the heavens declare the glory of God. God comes to you and goes, you know, but I love it when you declare my glory too. Josh, is this, he's got a big old grin on his face. This is like, create an infinite, eternal God, huge, comes and says, hey, Dan Radakovich, you can make my heart rejoice. Sherry, this God says, you can bring a smile to my face. Eternal, approachable, creator, father, all-powerful, friend. 
dear brothers and sisters, you have to live in the tension of the two. You swing to the approachable end of the spectrum. You make God this big and you walk around with the t-shirt that says, Jesus is my homie. God is just all approachable. We shrink him to an itty-bitty God. Itty-bitty God. We shrink him. Itty-bitty God. And we don't give him the glory that he deserves. And we lose our only source of hope. But you swing too far to the, he's just infinite creator. He's through grace our father. I'm his son. You're his daughter. And by his spirit, we cry out to this infinite eternal God, Abba, what? This God, the creator of the galaxy, says, come. Come on. Right here. Just you and me. Just you and nobody else. Just you and me. You, you care about my affection? Church, Psalmist is not coming in and getting all hyped by the music. He's being impacted, transformed, and healed by the truth of who God is and what God has done. When the Psalmist says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, when God is not greatly praised, it's only because we don't think he's great of a God. Can I say that again? When our God is not greatly praised, it's because we don't think he's that great of a God. When our worship is small, it's because our view of God is what? And when we give God itty bitty worship, it's because we've made him into an And a worship is anemic, it's because we don't see God as he is. So here's the question as we leave. Do you see God? Do you see God as, do you see God's worth? Do you see God's beauty? Do you see God's wisdom? Do you see God's love? Do you see God's greatness? Do you see God's mercy? Do you see God's grace? Do you see God's holiness? Give me a practical application. Here's a practical, here's a practical. Are you, like the psalmist is doing, taking an inventory of the excellencies of God as revealed in word. Do you meditate, reflect? Do you read? Do you chew? Do you digest? The Bible is God's self-revelation of himself. Are you going before him by grace and taking in the excellencies and inventory of who our God is? We talk about going to church to worship. It's actually we go worshiping to church. Somebody say, say that again. Sorry, because I want to. Okay. We talk about going to church. I'm going to go to church. No, no, no. Every single one of us is coming in here worshiping something. 
And see, see, do you know what would happen in this or any other corporate gathering if every single person here walked in here already worshiping our God and saying Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you are beautiful, you are lovely, you are awesome, you are amazing. Do you know what would happen? You're already coming in here worshiping. We don't go to church to worship. We come worshiping. Who? Or what? Are you worshiping? And then, see, you can come on up here. That, that's our part. And then, and then there's this part, okay? That's even more critical. And, and, and we're going to end with this. And I, I got a confession. I was really nervous about ending the, ending the service this way. And don't freak out. Like, what's he going to do? Don't, don't freak out. Freak out. You know me by now. I'm not going to have you all. Everybody jump up. We're going to start running around the sanctuary. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Some would do it. Yeah, I know. Here's the part that's more critical about seeing God. And, I'll, and you'll see why I felt nervous. Worship is our, say what, response to God. Meaning worship doesn't start with us. We don't initiate worship. God does. He reveals. And then we respond. He discloses. Then we respond. He unveils. Then we respond. He chooses to show how amazing he is, and we say, you're amazing. He initiates. We respond. Just like a whole relationship with Jesus. God initiates. We respond. He loves. We love in return. He calls. We answer. He leads, and we what? It's all a response. That means that unless God himself shows us who he is, we can't respond to him with true worship from our hearts. That's why we desperately need the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that from deadness to life it's the same Holy Spirit, Jesus said, that reveals the truth of who God is that allows us to see Him. The same Holy Spirit. When our vision is clouded of who God is, brings clarity to our vision. It's the Holy Spirit when you and I sit there and go, I don't feel you. I don't see you. I can't. It's the Holy Spirit that comes and says, It's the Holy Spirit. You see why I said I was nervous about ending this way? Because I love the whole, and you need to do God. But this right here, I realized, I'm like, so some of you are like, ooh, holy, wah, wah. And then there's others of us that are like, Holy Spirit, holy what? I know who he is, but he, that means I can't, yeah, the Holy, but here's what I know. I'm going to leave with this, and we're going to worship. Here's what I know. John Three, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is like the wind. A good sailor can't generate the wind. Holy Spirit. A good sailor can't create the wind. But a good sailor knows what to do when the wind shows up. A good sailor is looking for the wind. A good sailor is searching for the wind 
a good sailor is on that boat anticipating the wind. My question to you is, when you come here, do you come looking, anticipating, seeking, hungry? Or do you come willy-nilly? Do you come checking my phone? Do you come, I just need a good sermon to little pick-me-up. I need a good sermon. Do you come here like a good sailor? I can't generate the wind. I can create the wind. But I know what to do when it's I'm looking. I'm seeking. Do you come here saying, God, I want to know you? Do you come here saying, God, I'm hungry for you? Do you come here saying, I'm seeking after you? Show me. You might not even be a Christian. Show me. You're not real to me. Show 